Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. We're delighted to have Greg Jobin Leeds here tonight, and we have a full evening of wonderful presentations. So to start our evening tonight, and um, our moderator for the evening is Nancy Rosas from Centro Humanitario. Please join me in welcoming Nancy. Buenas noches. Good evening. Uh, welcome, everyone. It's good to be together. And as I say to people, I wear many hats in the community, so I'm wearing two today. So as um, we have a, a full, a full uh, night, and we have wonderful people here to share, and where I'm going to invite, please help me welcome Cabin, who is a poet, a poet uh, from our community. So he's going to be sharing his art with us. Word. Um, thank you, you know, to everyone here. It's actually a beautiful honor to be connected to my comrade now. A good friend of mine is uh, Fabiana Rodriguez, who is a well-known graffiti artist in my community. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we used to just hit up all kind of zines and just do a lot of stencils together. So shout out to all the political urban calligraphy artists, you know, and um, as a poet, my focus is more around community activism and holistic health, agronomy, permaculture, a.k.a. just gardening, you know, hood gardening, you know, either with permission or without permission, guerrilla gardening, I think is very important. And um, so I just want to spit, you know, pieces from uh, some of my past work, if you okay with that, you know. Definitely go cop this book and uh, tell your mama to do the same thing. So check it out. This one uh, was dedicated to the Grow House, and um, I wrote it around the same time that it was founded. So uh, it's called Let It Grow. Just got the grant that I worked hard for. I walked in the door, split the money in four. I see my people living poor, manifest more. Cleaning up the streets, sitting seem like a chore. The green economy, that's what I live for. The man, woman, child, that's who I work for. I see them fighting overseas, they should learn more. I see the God in you and me, that's what I aim for. So all my little OGs, just grow more. And if you freeze and save your seeds, you can plant more. First you cultivate the seed and eat raw. Going green, living bling. Yes, yes, y'all. It's yes, yes, y'all. I plant greens, y'all. It's one team, y'all. The one dream, y'all. I said the higher end, the peace is all in your mind. Y'all said you're all what you eat. It's green for all. You see, ya? you got to keep it moving and show improving. You ask what you do. For your one, that's why you cultivate the crop. Yeah, yeah, the crops got the greener block. Yeah, yeah, the block cultivate the crops. Yeah, yeah, the crops got the greener block. Yeah, yeah, the block. See, you got to do this for the mother nature. Politicians always front like they greater. From the corporate, the hood to the mayor. A lot of people don't know you up in danger. To so get a garden, shorty, you need to get some land. 
conserve your water, homie, you need to work your plan. Most of the world starve, we feed it to the cow. Where is the corn now? It's all GMO. Didn't you all know about that Monsanto? They made Agent Orange and America grow round up. Terminated season BBCs is both sides of your feds. It's easy to see when you got to keep it moving. Show and prove when they ask what you do. For your one, what world, 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 what world. That's why you cultivate the crop. Yeah, yeah, the crops got the greener block. Yeah, yeah, the block. We cultivate the crops. Yes, yes, the crops got the green your block. Yeah, yeah, the block, right? Um. And then um another one more piece I'll do is uh this one in some um, an older project that I was working on released this album called Deep Rock and um it's dedicated to the five points due to the fact that it's beautiful land sitting on top of the Ogallagua aquifer and the tapped into that water and I think about water a lot especially what's happening in Flint even though Nestle is you know, literally pumping, you know, billions of gallons of water every day while people still can't get fresh water in Flint. Makes no sense. So um, it's interesting that I had an album dedicated to that, you know, featuring Dead Prez. A lot of other artists help collaborate on it. So this piece is, um, you know, it's really important too. So check this out. Raising up a profit, not violence, silence, true method of resistance and free mentally and not imprisonment. Well, I am the teacher, you're all the students. Me not growing any life, that's irrelevant. I plant daisies just for the smell of it. The earth is pregnant with my seeds, son, I'm celibate. You're like the essence, this hip-hop, we live in this. You ask for the love, for you won't stop giving it. But it's a goddamn sham, cast is pimping it. They got me sick of it, raise up your fist, kid. And demand your freedom out like my man Hugh. We did. We tell him the truth. I said to buy and buy time after time just to read mine. Seeking your find. See, open your third eye and never go blind. I said it's all in the mind. It's self guard defined. Justice on the wall with a three color burner. Gotta free my people like I was a Nat Turner. If you didn't know, then you gotta become a learner. Birthed out the nation like I was a sojourner. Turn the page. Get some love to your mother. I try to warn a brother. The bumper clot ruckus. The blood suckers. It's been the same, son. They took us for my mother's strengths in our veins, infiltrated, never entertained. They got me separated from the land. They got me feeling the same. But who we really to blame? The ones that oversee or overstand. Should you blame it on a man's plan? Who really has the power in their hands? Slave drivers or the clan? Trump or the Africans? It's really all under the sand. That the victims have a plan. Should you really give a damn? You're just a fan of the so-called revolution. Knowledge reigns supreme over evolution. Peace. Thank you, Kevin, for your words. So I am... I am the leadership director and, um, and campaign director of Centro Humanitario. And this morning, we were um, with around 200 people in Latino Advocacy Day. And, you know, as, the, as Greg says in the book, you know, the movement is an intersectional movement. You know, as humans, uh, we are always, you know, looking at different things that um, impact our lives, that benefit our lives, and we are all connected. 
So I got the opportunity to lobby with two um, Latinas from Centro Humanitario, members from Centro Humanitario. These two women are immigrant, Esmeralda and Maria, and they both are survivors of domestic violence. They are both have uh, uh, part of their families with documents and part of their families with undocuments. Um, they both have um, go through all the troubles of, you know, um, fighting for the kids to have access to education, especially Maria, who has four boys, two who are documented and two that are undocumented. So as you can say, just in these two women, uh, there are a lot of issues that intersects in their lives. You have education, you have immigration, you have safety, you have health, many things that are always at, at play. So I'm going to draw your attention at um, chapter 5, when Greg talks about um, economic power. So at the Centro Humanitario is uh, one of the uh, 54 affiliates of a movement um, called the National Domestic Workers Alliance. So Agent Poo um, is uh, one of the, found the founders and director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. So in page 115, Agent says, we are really trying to develop a whole new generation of women workers who can provide leadership not only on issues affecting domestic workers, but on what the 21st century economy and democracy needs. So the National Domestic Workers Alliance, um, as, as I was saying, just in the stories of Maria and Esmeralda, you know, is an intersectional uh, movement. In only six years, you know, it's a movement that is mobilizing you know, thousands and thousands of nannies, home care workers, uh, house cleaners to organize because when we fight, we win. Let's try again. When we fight, we win. Yes, so that's what the National Domestic Workers have been doing because uh, in 1938, when the Fair Labor Standard Act was passed, uh, basic protection for uh, migrant workers and domestic workers. Um, they were uh, they were explicitly excluded. So both of them, you know, uh, we can see both of these issues through the lens of racism and sexism, because at that time, as uh, um, most of you will know, you know, they there was a concession to southern lawmakers who feared the rise of black um, electorate. So. We, uh, right now, you know, in this movement, there is um, women of different ethnicities, women of different ages, um, you know, who do the work that we all need, that they do the work that makes uh, the work, our work possible, you know. They clean our houses, they take care of our kids, um, they care of our um, adults, and so they are doing that um, incredible work. So the National Domestic Workers Alliance is um, is winning because we have been organizing for six uh, years. And so we have worked Bill of Rights in different states, in New York, in California, in Connecticut. And now uh, we are very close to win in Illinois. 
So we are building power at a time where labor unions are under attack. The domestic workers' movement is giving us hope. We are winning at a time when lots of other sectors are not. We were told, you know, the National Domestic Workers Alliance were told that domestic workers were a workforce that was impossible to organize because they were isolated in, you know, in, the, in their homes, in the private homes. But we are doing it, you know. We are organizing women, and here locally at, um, in Denver, through El Centro Humanitario, we are organizing domestic workers. We are providing them a safe place to come and for community and organize for, for winning um, rights. We are bringing them together to be engaged and to say, you know, the fact that you are an immigrant or don't speak English or you don't have a lot of education, that doesn't mean that you are not a human being that has the same rights and opportunities. So we are providing opportunities for them because when we fight, we win. So I can go on and on tell you many stories, but this is a National Domestic Workers Alliance. We are very proud to be part of them because it's an, um, a movement of women, different ages, different colors, different ethnicity. We are working, you know, on immigration. We are working on uh, Bill of Rights for domestic workers. We are working... Um, for with Black Lives Matter, we are working with different moments because we understand that this struggle, everybody's needed, and all issues are connected. And as human beings, we are called to um, to work together. So let's go and keep on fighting. So we are winning. Thank you. So now let me introduce to Caroline Castile. She is with Job with Justice and also working in one of the campaigns for the National Domestic Workers Alliance that is Care Across Generation. Let me welcome her. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, so I'll be relatively brief. I just want to introduce you to a movement that's relatively new in Colorado, and that is a movement for respect and dignity for our elder community. Um, we at Caring Across Generations are uh, a national movement of families, caregivers, people with disabilities, and aging Americans working to transform the way we talk about care in this country. So we're looking at things like online action, grassroots organizing, and innovative culture change. Uh, so we want to shift the way our nation values caregiving. Uh, and uh, we're also calling for policy solutions that enable all of us uh, to live with dignity and independence. Um, so just want to throw out a, an interesting fact to everyone um, that you may or may not know. Every eight seconds in our country, a baby boomer turns 65. Um, so that is going to herald an unprecedented elder boom in uh, our country. And um, I'm here to tell you that that is much more of a blessing than a burden. Um, and uh, we at Caring Across Generations are um, working with elders directly so that they can advocate for themselves as we prepare for what many of us lovingly call the silver tsunami. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, again, this elder boom is definitely a blessing, and um, our work with the National Domestic Workers Alliance also um, brings in the importance of 
caregivers, both in family settings and as professionals, um, and the support that we need to provide um, these folks to to make sure that um, that we go down the right path as we um, per- as we welcome the elder boom. So thank you all very much. Thank you. So now we have uh, Greg, the writer, with a presentation. Thank you so much for being here. It's so great to be here at Tattered Cover in Denver. When We Fight, We Win is full of these stories and wisdom and ideas of artists. And so any brilliance you hear tonight is not my own. It's just I ended up quoting somebody really well. And uh, it portrays when we were on Democracy Now! uh, early, right at our book launch on uh, the uh, 5th of January, uh, Amy Goodman described the book as describing the growing growing resistance movement for justice and uh, how it's captured in this book. All the royalties in the book are going to this movement or to going to the cultural projects that are related to the book. Uh, it's published by a nonprofit uh, publisher. So, uh, and then uh, any, so any books you buy tonight are going to end up going to either the local bookstore, a nonprofit publisher, or to the pro- uh, projects related to the book. How many of you in the audience are currently active in movement building? That is awesome. That is awesome. Because... When We Fight, We Win has been a journey of amazing people like you. It's, um, it's, 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 as we cross this country, we keep hearing more and more stories, and we get a sense of the, uh, this huge movement that we are all a part of, and that uh, the, the book is really just the tip of the iceberg of. And one of the, one of the um, artists uh, who designed the book, uh, De Hernandez, and she curated the art. She's an architect, a puppeteer, and uh, she's part of this artist collective called Ajitarte, who are my co-authors. And the art that you will see behind, behind me over here on the side was all curated by her. And as you feel the book, you're going to see the brilliance of it. I often say that Ajitarte, out of the mud of today's reality, uh, of which, of which, where they live in Puerto Rico um, most of the time in Boston, where th- you know, if you think things are bad in our cities here, go to Puerto Rico and it's just so much uh, more worse. And, uh, but everything they touch turns to this, this beauty, and they create this, this incredible art. And um, out, of, out, of, out of that mud, they, um, they, they grow flowers. Jorge Diaz is the um, artistic director and founder of, of Ajitarte. And uh, I hired him as a, my intern 23 years ago. And over that time, he's become my teacher and my mentor, and he's become an editor, and he constantly is calling me to my highest, uh, and he's constantly uh, sharpening my language. And I'm honored that he co-authored the book with Day and I. The title, When We Fight, We Win, was a rally cry first heard by Jorge at the anti-eviction campaigns of uh, City Life in Boston. Banks were foreclosing on homeowners, but City Life was able to keep families in their home. City Life says, of course, we don't always win every fight. But every time we fight, we win our humanity. We build a community of those standing in solidarity together. City Life says, if you don't fight, you lose. When we fight, we create our art and our stories, and we learn what is possible. And this book and the community that we are encountering every night on this tour is part of that win. And it's this snowballing win that we get more and more of a feeling of. When We Fight, We Win highlights the, police, the horrific police brutality and deep racism in this country. 35 years ago, 
When I was started teaching, the U.S. was the world leader in high school graduation rates. Today, we are the world leader in jails. As an activist and a teacher and now an educator, uh, education movement funder for years, I, like so many of you, have watched as things have gotten worse and worse. And many people, before they hear about the book and hear, hear the story, say, well, what can you do? And uh, that's what this book is really about, is about what you can do and what people are doing. We see over and over through the tour, tour as we go from city to city, as historic black communities, uh, Latino communities, working class communities that were there 30 years ago are gone. And it's, we've seen it accelerate, and people are talking about in the last five years those same um, uh, communities going to. And I know in my own town of Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, there's entire you know, schools are closed, the uh, families displaced, and uh, just new neighborhoods, uh, luxury apartments are put where, where people homes were just there a, a few years ago. The leaders in When We Fight We Win show us how to create community and stand in solidarity with those on the front lines of these struggles. And they show us how to speak out effectively at this very scary but perhaps pivotal cross, uh, at, at this p- pivotal moment in history. When We Fight, We Win tells the story of how U.S. immigration police are raiding the homes in the dead of night, families being deported, torn apart, nursing mothers taken from their babies, Um, the elderly, children criminalized, sent to detention camps, deported, families torn apart. And it reminds me of my parents, and as I I would hear these stories more and more, it reminded me of my parents who both escaped uh, Nazi Germany and left Germany in the 1930s. My father was the last Jew in his high school in Hamburg, Germany. My mother was a refugee two times before the age of 11. That was before the death camps happened. I'm alive because some people stood up for my family, for my parents, but not enough stood up against that brutality then. And that's why I know now that to be silent is to collaborate. My mother used to wave her, wag her finger at me and say, don't think it can't happen here. And my father in 2002 uh, turned and, uh, and he's Caroline is here, my, uh, my, her, her, her father, my, my, uh, my brother Richard was at this meeting where my father said, as there was the, uh, after the Afghanistan war and the rollback of our rights um, uh, through the U.S. Patriot Act and, the, and then the buildup to the Afghanistan war, he said, I've seen this before. This is how it all starts. And that's why I say to people, we must use whatever privilege and power we have to speak out and stop the insanity of the prisons. The U.S. has 2.5 million people in, in prisons. We've got to stop the insanity of the deportations, the gentrification, the environmental apartheid and ecocide, and the insane inequality that's right now, it's, uh, I mean, every, every couple of years, you know, the numbers get more and more insane. Now it's 20, the 20 wealthiest people in the United States have more wealth than the 152, pe- 152 million people in the U.S. 20 people have more than 57 million households. To be silent is to collaborate. When We Fight, We Win is filled with the voices of movement activists and prophetic artists Usually Day's here, and she's showing, clicking the slides, and i got to do it to myself tonight. This is a detention center in, in Boston. So when we fight, we win. It's filled with the voice of movement activists and prophetic, prophetic artists who have decided they will not uh, collaborate, and they are making progress. We interviewed Patrice Couars-Brignat. 
She's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. Many, many of you have heard the stories of Black Lives Matter, but don't know the stories behind the scenes and, and the incredible vision. Patrice's brother was arrested and tortured in the L.A. jails. Starved and dehydrated, he had to drink the water out of his toilet bowl. Patrice tells how she formed the coalition to end sheriff's violence and how just, um, just last year they won civilian oversight over this horrific police department. And I'm hearing pretty insane things about the uh, Denver Police Department as well. And I keep hearing more and more about it. So, but they win civilian oversight over that. And that's one of the reasons why we say when we fight. Thank you. This next piece of art is by Kevin Rashid Johnson. He's been in solitary confinement for 17 years, not seeing another person for 23 hours a day. When we interview Kevin Rashid, he has to write us his answers in pencil. His powerful art becomes the symbol of the 30,000 California prisoners who go out on hunger strike. Why? Why, if you're in prison, would you go out on hunger strike? They did to protest the inhumane conditions and the widespread use of solitary confinement. Patrice and Noel Hanoran from Prison Radio and so many of the other movement work, uh, folks in the book worked to spread the hunger strikers' message. They exposed the horrific use of solitary confinement. And, they, and this year, the prisoners won a major victory. They won, um, first in California, they went in a major overhaul of the use of solitary confinement. And then uh, about three months ago in New York State, in even far uh, sweeping um, reforms in the use of solitary confinement. And then just this past month, the president signed an executive order outlawing the use of solitary confinement for juveniles. When we fight... While prison activists and prison radio and Black Lives Matter work to create these changes, they put forth these incredible visions of transformation, and they show us how to get there, how to abolish all the root causes of why someone would go to jail, whether it's lack of access to drug treatment programs, racial profiling, um, uh, uh, laws that discriminate, the school-to-prison pipeline, and um, the movements of the, all the movements in the book of today are, go to the root of the problems, and they create new languages that are grounded in love. And they're game-changing, and they're interconnected. So Steve Meachin from, from City Life, he's a movement organizer there, and he helps lead successful campaigns to keep pe- families in their home in Boston by creating eviction-free zones. How? With Ahitarte, my co-authors, they develop street theater and signs to tell their stories. And using lawyers, court orders, and by building a human wall with hundreds of people, they um, stop banks from foreclosing on people, and they keep families in their home by changing state, federal, and local laws. This is one reason why City Life says, when we fight, Paulina Helms Hernandez of Song Southerners on New Ground worked in North Carolina to stop an anti-queer defensive marriage bill. They had over a thousand conversations across the state. They lost, and they knew they'd lose. But while they worked, they told their stories, and they worked with queer immigrant youth. And they told the stories about the horrors of the deportation camps, about mothers being taken away from nursing babies, and how the dreams of these youth have been criminalized and stolen. The Dreamers, as these young activists became known as, marched with T-shirts declaring themselves undocumented and unafraid. They defy the immigration police. 
They occupy President office, uh, can- President Obama's re-election campaign office in 2012, refusing to leave until the president has signed an executive order. Uh, an executive order. Sorry, I'm gotten way behind here. You really need day for a lot of reasons. So they refuse to leave until and. Uh, uh, until the uh, the president has fulfilled these his prior campaign promises that he made in 2008, and this is finally what gets the president to uh, make good on his promises and uh, make major uh, policy change. You get rid of that thing. Seems to go away. Okay. Um, There are many other game-changing and interconnected movements, stories, and when we fight, we win. Indigenous groups blocking the tar sands and fracking, Occupy Wall Street, 350.org, the Chicago Teachers Union, restaurant workers fighting for a livable wage, and many more that are just the tip of this iceberg that I talked about. Professor Antonia Dardare, who writes the afterword to the book, um, she talks about in the uh, that when we were in L.A. with her, she says that this, the, that this is the tip of the iceberg and that the stories is and the um, art that's in here, no matter how powerful it is, there's probably many more stories and many more art that's even more powerful out there. And we tonight and through this tour, we get a sense of the magnitude of that this iceberg. And I get a sense, you know, as I'm hearing all the stories that are, I've never met any of the people who spoke tonight, and it's been part of the beauty of this tour. So together, these brave souls tell the story of today's transformation. And I'm going to end with four of the essential qualities that make it so when we do fight, we do we win. So number one, tell your story. Learn to tell a narrative. Bring forth the voices of those whose schools have been closed, those who are behind bars, those who suffer gentrification, exploit, uh, uh, sexual exploitation, de- uh, deportation. Number two, transformation only comes with visions of transformation, visions that are grounded in love, uh, visions of transformation that touch on personal transformation, uh, organizational transformation, cultural transformation, and structural transformation. Number three, work in solidarity. Work with folks on the front lines of the struggle. Listen to the clear and powerful language they use. My language has changed dramatically even during the time of this book tour because, I, I, because people who are on the front lines can see it so much more clearly. When my sister-in-law, who's uh, Sunita, who is uh, Asian-American, she, you know, you know, I asked some, some question about white supremacy, and she said, well, of course there's white supremacy. The only people who don't believe there's white supremacy are whites. So uh, us whites need a little bit more education sometimes. So, the, um, so the, the folks on the front lines use words like white supremacy, capitalism, imperialism, heterosexism, violence, punishment, revolution. Find out why we use such strong language and the new ideas. Professor Dardare also says that we need fresh new language to speak about this in ways that invite more people into the conversation. So connect your struggles with others. Use whatever privilege you and power you have to listen up and speak out because to be silent is to collaborate. And last, you have to disrupt the power. You have to change who has it and how it is held because when we fight, thank you. So we are very thankful that Natasha made it. Uh, and she is, uh, for, for what we learned, uh, a new 
newer activist, and it was she's gonna share her story and how her story, what happened to her. Um, I understand, um, you know, have her now uh, be an activist. And so, please welcome Natasha. Hello, my name is Natalia Marshall. Um, I became an activist recently. November the 11th, my uncle was arrested and taken downtown to the detention center off of Colfax. He was um, arrested for very small charges, um, trespassing. He was held on a $100 bond. Um, the reason why he was arrested, actually, we just found out he was staying in a motel and he lost his Bible and he called the police to find his Bible. My uncle suffers from schizophrenia. So uh, when they picked him up, he started having a psychotic episode due to his Bible missing. He ended up getting arrested and went to jail when they probably should have took him to the mental hospital or contacted us. And while he was there, he was... Um, approached by an officer. He wasn't violent. He wasn't threatening. He had his hands full of papers and clothes. He had no shirt on. He only had on some pants. Uh, the officer asked him to sit down. He sat down, and the officer stood in front of him, and then they started exchanging words, and my uncle leaned up against the wall towards the officer. The officer was six foot, 300 pounds, maybe six foot plus, maybe 300 or over. My uncle was five foot four, 112 pounds at the time. He was attacked by that one officer and four more came and attacked him as well. When he was on the ground, they um, held him, they restrained him and used a, a baton underneath his neck and they put shackles and handcuffs on him and they were all leaning on him like I said he was 112 pounds he had over a thousand pounds on his body that day while they were restraining him they restrained him for over 30 minutes um, when I watched the videotape they had restrained him for over 30 minutes he ended up losing consciousness they performed CPR on him for about 20 minutes but it was already too late when by the time they had started to restrain him, he was already unconscious for over 25 minutes. Um, he ended up vomiting, and they put a choke mask over him, and he ended up passing away from aspiration and um, asphyxiation. Um, he doesn't have a voice anymore. So I fight for him. He never should have been arrested, in my opinion. They should have contacted us. And ever since then, I've been trying to tell his story, and I've been trying to make sure that I can be the best I can be and say what he would say and just trying to make it be known that no one should ever have to go through that. No one should have ever went through that. No family should grieve like this. And unfortunately, my family is not the first and I pray to God my family would be the last, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's not, unfortunately. 
So that's why I became an activist, is for him. Somebody needs to tell a story. This needs to be stopped. No one should go through this. He never should have went through that. So that's what keeps me going, and that's why I do what I do. I just want to make sure that he gets justice. Right now, the officers are still employed. They never were suspended. They never were let go at all. They went to work every day through the whole process. So they never were charged either. And like I said, they still have their job. So that's why I continue to fight. And I'm fighting for his injusticeness. The officers who attacked him also did not have training properly with mental ill with mental illness and how to deal with the mental ill community. So that's another thing I'm fighting for. I believe that all officers should be properly trained to interact with somebody who's mentally ill. They work with the public, and there's over 200. I've read that there's over 200 million people that suffer from mental illness in the United States. So hopefully they can figure out Something because it happens all over the United States, and this it shouldn't happen to anyone. Like I said, I'd like to thank you all for my time or for your time. And I'm sorry I was late. I really am. I had a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you speak the name of your uncle? My uncle's name is Michael Lee Marshall. I should have said that. My uncle's name is Michael Lee Marshall. He was 50 years old and. Um, he exercised daily, so he was very active person, extremely active, very happy, very, very joyful person. I've never, ever in my whole life seen him upset or violent or anything. I've tried so hard to think if I've ever seen him behave like that. He hasn't. I also realize I've never seen him sleep either, so <laughs> that does the energy, but I've never seen him upset. And watching the video, and after talking to the investigators and the officers, I asked if he was violent or if he was threatening in any way, shape, or form. And they all stated he wasn't, but they didn't know exactly what he was doing. So that's why they ended up restraining him the way they did during his psychotic episode. So in the moment we say the name of the uh, of the, uh, the people, and so and then the people um, reply presente to say that he's present with us. So Michael Marshall, presente. presente. Uh, thank you so much for being here. So Greg is going to be signing books. That's all for tonight's author on tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.